1: Welcome to More Than Amused Podcast, a podcast all about women and the arts, hosted by Stani and Sadie.
0: Join us as we explore what it's like being a female artist, examine modern day problems, and educate ourselves and you on important and forgotten female artists of the past. Hello, welcome to
1: More Than Amused Podcast. My name is Sadie. And I'm Stani. And welcome back. Welcome back. Another Monday to learn about. A super cool woman. Happy yes. June. I can't believe it's summer. I know actually. <laughs> when did that happen? <laughs> I don't know but it's finally like feeling warm and I'm pretty mm-hmm. sure this weekend in Nashville it's gonna be like 80 degrees. Oh I
0: took Winnie on like a super long walk on Memorial. Well because mm. my cars broke down but also just because he <laughs> needed it. <laughs> so I took him on like a really long walk on Memorial Day and I was like it feels nice outside. Mm It's like this is a beautiful summer evening and like people were outside like riding bikes
1: and the pool was filling up and you could smell the chlorine and i was like man Uh, we have this beautiful park right by where we live that has a really long trail and people will be yeah riding their bikes and rollerblading i want to get rollerblades so bad now like it just looked so much fun so so fun might be getting some rollerblades this summer do we'll it. see.
0: I just bought some for a photo shoot. Oh, cute! <laughs> actually, yeah, <I'm laughs> Love like, <it>. There's some <laughs>
1: cute rollerblades out there. There's actually some adorable ones on Amazon. I'll have to show you. Uh, right. I'm like, maybe send <laughs> me the link because <laughs> yeah. I think it's that's gonna be a necessity uh, this summer.
0: Definitely. Who are we learning about today? We are talking about Connie Converse. I found her last year. Mm-hmm. This has been a long time coming. I was just gonna say so there is this podcast I love it's one of the only true crime ones I still listen to because Mm -hmm. I get freaked out but it's a parcast podcast it's called unexplained mysteries sometimes it's easier to listen to mysteries than murders you know Yep, fully with you there. Yeah. So they have a lot of stuff. They'll like debut other shows that talk about like lore or different things like that. But then they also cover a lot of disappearances or like historical mysteries, like things happening at ranches that they can't explain or. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> like all sorts of stuff. I think they covered like a ship disappearing. I'm pretty sure at one point they talked about Amelia Earhart. It's an, a mystery. Unexplained. Yep. But I noticed that they had covered Connie Converse. hmm And I went, wait a second. What? And I was like, this is so interesting. I haven't heard this name, but they said it was a folk singer. And so I listened to the episodes and then listened to her music and then proceeded to listen to her music for the next week
1: amazing
0: yes so right up front i'm gonna warn you all obviously because it was on an unexplained mysteries podcast we're gonna be talking about a disappearance we also will be talking about depression and suicide and like potential thoughts around that obviously it's not confirmed but there's some assumptions there as well as like some substance abuse so if any of that's triggering i understand i'm not gonna be going into the depth obviously we never really do that's not the point Mm -hmm. but if you know if it's too much that's fine skip this one it's okay totally connie converse was actually born elizabeth eaton converse on august 3rd 1924 and she's an american singer songwriter and musician known under her professional name connie converse and she was actually born in laconia new hampshire and then raised in concord new hampshire and she is the middle child of a super super strict religious baptist family her father was actually a minister for a really long time according to like music historians her mother was like musical that's really all they kind of know about her and then she had an older brother named paul converse he was older than her by three years and then her younger brother by five years philip converse and we'll bring up philip a lot him and connie were really close he actually would go on to become a prominent political scientist And they spent a lot of, like, their later years that they had together. And she, like, wrote to him most frequently, had the most contact with him. So Mm. he comes up a lot. Her father was actually a part of a group campaigning for prohibition in the 1950s. Wow. (laughs) Yeah, which if you don't know, means they wanted to make alcohol illegal. And it worked
1: really well. They've
0: tried to do numerous times in history. It's kind of like fighting an uphill battle. (laughs) Not
1: a great track record, but you know, that's okay.
0: Yeah. Also, the kids were forbidden from anything that was considered secular. Mm. You know, no dancing, nothing of the world. I don't know the extent of how that went, but I'm assuming probably like what you would imagine of a strict Mm -hmm. Baptist family that forbid dancing. I'm imagining the town in Footloose. I'm thinking Footloose. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Say literally. So you know, dress modestly. Go to church every Sunday. Don't dance. Don't listen to music. Don't drink. Yep. All that jazz. They were, however, considered like a very intelligent artistic family. They would spend evenings like reading Shakespeare together in their living room. They would like assign them each a part and like dramatically read out the plays, which sounds kind of fun. We did that actually in my eighth grade classroom. And it was very enjoyable so there you go family activity <laughs> she also attended concord high school and she was valedictorian and actually won eight academic awards including an academic scholarship to mount Holyoke college in massachusetts where her mother and her grandmother had attended she was really really smart her younger brother philip actually described her as a genius and a polymath and said that he didn't use those terms lightly A polymath is kind of like a a renaissance person where they just have like a wide-ranging knowledge of like facts and, you know, intelligence. She's like a super, super smart person. Mm -hmm. However, after only two years at college at Mount Holyoke, she moved to New York City with no warning. Just hmm. dropped out of school, moved to New York City. Her family was brokenhearted by this. They wanted a college grad, mm-hmm. and she moved to New York City, which, you know, isn't known for its traditional Baptist values. True. So they assumed that she had left to pursue her life of sin. Her brother was just kind of like, I mean, not far from the truth, but a little dramatic. Like, yeah. she just didn't want to live a religious lifestyle anymore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She was
1: never really like a wild person. Person. But did not want the life that her family had deemed her. (laughs) Exactly. So she actually moved to Greenwich Village, which we've talked about
0: before. Oh, yeah. I'm trying to remember who we just talked about that was living in Greenwich. I don't remember who that was. I'll have to try and remember. But that's where she was living in what they called New York's Flatiron District. Okay. I'm a. I don't know why it was called that but (laughs) and for a time she worked at the Academy Photo Offset Printing House and it was near like the Hell's Kitchen Harlem areas and then she started calling herself Connie which was a nickname she acquired. I'm assuming it actually came from her last name like Converse Connie but then Uh it's kind of funny because then she went by Connie Converse but yes cute and then she began writing songs and performing them for friends accompanying herself on guitar proving her parents right she also began smoking and drinking during this time Uh, dang (laughs) which led to her parents to actually reject her music career no surprise there i don't know if they would have been that happy with it that's what i was gonna say like i don't feel like it was just
1: the alcohol but who knows
0: (laughs) the saddest part about this actually is that her father never even heard her sing before he died
1: oh so there was just complete refusal to engage yeah
0: that is so, very sad. So really, really sad. Like I can't imagine, you know, having a kid and then like not even wanting to hear them hear them sing.
1: Yeah. If that's what they were pursuing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that is really tragic.
0: After a couple of years in 1954, a friend actually introduced Connie to a man named Gene Deitch, who was an illustrator who loved helping musicians with their career. So it was just like his mm. passion project. And so he invited her over and even commented on how she didn't look like a Greenwich singer. She looked like a Sunday school teacher. (laughs) Oh, ouch. But she put on a personal concert at his kitchen table, and he just recorded her. And it was just her and her guitar singing the songs that she had wrote.
1: Mm. And he
0: said that her songs were filled with an unassuming sadness and untapped potential. And he loved them. Like he just loved them. So after she finished singing quite a few songs for him and he recorded them, he promised her that he was going to boost her profile and bring her sound to a wider audience. And wow. he he did. Like, he kept his promise in more ways than one. But the first way he kept it was that he sent her tapes to CBS and actually secured an interview for her on Walter Cronkite. Major talk show. At the time. Wow. So this is her only known public performance <laughs> and it was this brief television appearance in 1954 on the morning show on the cbs network with walter cronkite and it was shot live so sadly we don't have any recording of it I don't know what people were thinking during that time, that you can record live shows, but they didn't. <laughs> just wasn't common. But everyone said she was a wonderful musical guest. Like, it mm-hmm. went beautifully. She was expecting phone calls after. I mean, as you would. You appear on television. You're a musical artist on Walter and Cronkite. And people say that it does well. Yeah. You expect a recording studio to call. So she waited and didn't hear anything weird and so for the next two years she sent out demo cds to anyone she could get in touch with and didn't hear anything that would be devastating like given this huge opportunity and then you realize that like either no one was watching that had connections in order to help you or like they heard and they didn't like you interesting yeah so in 1956 kind of like a last dutch effort she recorded an album for her brother Phil titled Musics, Volumes One and Two. And then she fell into a really deep depression. She called this period her Blue Funk. That's how she referred to her depression. And
1: that's a pretty accurate
0: way of describing that. Right? <laughs> the yeah. Blue Funk. And yeah, dealing with like the frustration of all of that, this depression that she was having, just like not finding the fulfillment in New York City that I think she hoped for. She left New York in 1961 and moved to Ann Arbor, Michigan to live with her brother, Philip. And as far as we know, she never picked up her guitar again. Oh. Yeah. That's makes me very sad. I know. Depression, man. It'll get you. Yeah. Oh, well. Um, She did get a job that she really liked out there. So like I mentioned earlier, her brother Philip was a political scientist. So he actually was a professor at the University of Michigan. And Mm -hmm. he got her a secretarial job. And then it ended up moving up to a writing job and then a managing editor editor for what was called the Journal of Conflict Resolution. Oh, wow. Yeah. That seems like a cool thing. Yeah. They just like wrote, as far as I can tell, it's like a newspaper, you know, about politics i think yeah okay (laughs) and like i mentioned like she had that intelligence that was just unheard of and so she loved the job as far as i can tell like put a lot of time and effort into it. i mean ended up being the managing editor of it and she wrote poems but you know we don't
1: know if she did songs or she didn't do songs i guess yeah
0: as far as we know she didn't do songs Some things about her, she was really, really private about her personal life. Like, even to those who were really close to her, she Mm -hmm. had a lot of friends in New York City that, you know, nowadays would be considered, like, a found family, you know, Mm -hmm. because of her family. And, but even with them, like, she was just really private. According to Dutch, the guy that recorded her songs, he said that she would respond to questions about her personal life with curt yes or no answers. So it would just be like, No. Yes, no, <laughs> you know, yeah, wouldn't elaborate, mm-hmm. wasn't willing to give more than that. Both wow. him and her brother have said that they pretty much believed that she was a lesbian, and that mm. could have been part of the reason why she dropped out of college, why she moved to New York, maybe why she was searching for more outside and of why her she religious was upbringing. so private then. Yes, because you grow up Baptist, you're probably gonna have some shame around your sexuality and it's worth noting that like we brought up in previous episodes Greenwich Village in the 50s was a major place for it was very progressive yeah Mm -hmm. especially like knowing that later on it would become the place of the Stonewall riots like it was a really progressive place it was where outcasts went to live and embrace their unique identities Mm -hmm. and so it would make perfect sense for her to go there to seek Something outside of what she had known growing up. It's also important to note that there's no evidence that she was ever involved in a romantic relationship. But grappling with her sexuality could have been a major contributor of her depression. Like, they've looked at statistics Mm. and members of the LGBTQ community are more likely to experience depression and suicidal attempts or thoughts. Mm -hmm. She also maybe she wasn't lesbian but she could have been like asexual aromantic or straight and just simply not interested in a traditional love life we don't know she also could have had a completely secret romantic life that nobody knew about yeah and that's also very possible so that just could have been a lot of things that would have contributed to her depression and some things that came later so by 1973 so that's a Almost 10 years, yeah, after moving, her friends noticed how bad her depression had gotten. Most days she would ignore letters and correspondence from anyone and just try to like smoke and drink herself into numbness. So they were really worried about her. And this is actually one of the sweetest things I've ever heard. Her colleagues, friends, and family that she was close to pooled their money together and gave her a six-month trip to England in hopes to improving her mood
1: oh isn't that like so that shows i think the kind of person you are if you're able yeah. to like cultivate those kind of relationships with people you mm-hmm. know that there's a group of people that would be willing to do that for you
0: agreed like that is the sweetest thing they're like mm-hmm. this will hopefully make you feel better you know like go <laughs> yeah so she accepted she hopped on the plane she was hoping it would bring some vibrance back into her personal life However, she said it didn't really help a ton. She spent a lot of time in her hotel room depressed, mm. but she did still enjoy the trip. She called it the most unproductive fun that she had ever had. So, I mean... Well, that's good.
1: Yeah. I think we can deem that productive in a way. <laughs> I agreed. I'm like, go have unproductive fun, you know? Like yeah. mm-hmm. The six-month trip to England
0: funded by people who care about you, like enjoy it a little more i think part Mm. of the problem was though it was a solo trip yeah that would be hard i agree so shortly after returning from this trip to england her mother was actually also worried about her and requested that she join her on a trip to alaska
1: also sweet however Connie and her mom weren't super close (laughs) I was gonna say like wait this is surprising me that it's coming from her mom yeah they did stay in touch it's worth noting like after her father died her mother did
0: stay in touch with her she didn't approve of like her lifestyle in New York but I think especially with her moving to live with her brother and kind of pursuing more of like a traditional career they did stay in touch so she requested she join her in Alaska Connie didn't really want to go but she like grudgingly agreed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> However, she wasn't able to smoke or drink the entire time cuz she was with her oh. mom. And so she was like really not happy with the trip like doesn't sound like she enjoyed herself, which is a bummer cuz I've heard Alaska's <laughs> beautiful. True. <laughs> yeah. Shortly after that, so just kind of like piling on top of, you know, series Everything. of things happening. Two major events seem to be the catalyst of her disappearing. The offices of the Journal of Conflict Resolution, which had meant so much to her, you know, this job she's spent so long at, it basically got auctioned off without her knowledge. Like, she's editor, and they just kind of, like, moved the whole thing to Yale. Oh. Yeah. With no warning. They're just like, oh, the newspaper doesn't belong to us anymore. It's now Yale's
1: oh so she mm -hmm. lost her
0: job around that time she also received the medical news that she needed a hysterectomy we don't know why (laughs) and there's a lot of like questions around this all we know is that her doctor said she needed one it could have been a terminal diagnosis it could have been to prevent further problems later who knows
1: My first thought, we did a whole episode on women and mental health and how that was treated in the 20th century and how hysteria was tied to being a woman. I hope that wasn't it. This was what I'm wondering. (laughs) <laughs> i don't know i know but i don't yeah. know if that could have been it i don't know uh-huh. was that a treatment even at that yeah. time i have no idea i don't
0: know if it was in the 1950s but it was previously so yeah I that is know. worth noting that for depression they used to think that they'd give you a hysterectomy and it would go away
1: yeah we're not sure disorder
0: but we do know that she had always expressed a love for children and like mm. maybe that's why it was so devastating is that she still had hope for like children of herself she was 50 at this time but i mean like getting told you have to go through a really intense surgery isn't
1: no that's yeah like a good regardless yeah
0: Yeah. like even if you aren't planning on children like getting told you're gonna have to go in and remove like a vital part of your body structure like that's pretty
1: that's traumatizing yeah yeah
0: (laughs) exactly and right after losing her job like who knows if she even thought she'd be able to afford it or you know yeah there's so much yes so, in August of 1974, which was only a few days after her 50th birthday, she mm-hmm. wrote a series of letters to her family and friends and explained that she was going to go and find a new life somewhere else. She wrote in a farewell letter to her brother, well, okay, she wrote a farewell letter and then actually tucked it in her stuff and her brother found it later and it was addressed mm. to who anyone who asks. So he opened it years later and within it, it just said, please let me go. Let me be if I can. Let me not be if I can't. Human society fascinates me and awes me and fills me with grief and joy. I just can't find my place to plug into it. And please accept my thanks for each of the happy times you've given me over the years and know I would have preferred to give you more than I ever did or could. I am in everyone's debt. Oh, Yeah like so sweet it really bums me out like human society
1: fascinates me and awes me i just can't find my place to plug into yeah. it yeah it's so beautiful but i hate even saying that but yeah. it, it, it is in a way well you can tell she's a writer <laughs> very <laughs> <Yeah>. true very <laughs> true she also wrote like individual
0: letters to everyone mm-hmm. and in her letter to her brother philip she specifically Included a check and a request that he make sure her health insurance was paid for and in good standing for a certain time following her departure, but that he cease paying it after a specific date.
1: Interesting. I know. Weird, right? Like, does that mean she was planning on the surgery, but just was going somewhere else for it? That's what you
0: would assume, because, like, otherwise, why would you care that your health insurance stays intact for a certain amount of time?
1: It kind of, like...
0: That one always raises questions for me, especially with like a lot of the assumptions later where I'm like, why would you care about your health insurance being paid for to a certain time period? And
1: if you are like dying or you died, you don't need your health insurance if you died. Exactly.
0: So kind of interesting. Hmm. She also like loosely mentioned that she might return in 10 years or so, but her brother mentioned that even as he read it, he had the thought that like she was never going to come back. So right when she disappeared, she was actually expected to go on an annual family trip to the lake. But by the time the letters had been delivered, she'd packed her belongings and her little Volkswagen Beetle and driven away, never to be heard from again.
1: Wow. Yes.
0: And we don't know what happened to her. Her family for a very long time believed that maybe she had taken her own life. She had mentioned before in like her most depressed stage, like how romantic it would be to drive into a lake,
1: you know. No, yes. (laughs) Yeah,
0: like okay depression's weird though guys <laughs> like, yeah no it is and so they thought for a long time that maybe that had happened That's what She thought. however like her brother did mention that in high school she had had a friend that had committed suicide and while a lot of those in the community like judged her really harshly as mm-hmm. some religious communities can she was heartbroken as well but she said that she didn't judge her classmate saying life was a gift but everyone had their right to choose their own ending and rather oh. than like that making him feel like his sister had ended her life it actually made him feel the opposite because he huh. was like maybe she just decided she didn't like the way it was going and wanted a different life with a different
1: ending and so she just is off to find her own different ending kind of a thing
0: yeah so who knows several years after she left someone actually told her brother philip that they had seen a phone book listing for elizabeth converse in kansas he didn't pursue the lead at the time kind of just choosing to respect her wishes of like please let me go you know i said and and believe that she had just restarted her life somewhere else okay um 10 years after her disappearance however he did end up calling up a private investigator just to see but Mm -hmm. the investigator told the family that even if he did find her she had the right to disappear and he couldn't drag her back to them you know like it's not like it's a
1: kidnapping where yeah like people can choose to go where they're gonna go exactly like people have the right to disappear if that's what they want to like she didn't
0: leave behind any unsettled business necessarily so like if you want to just pack up and leave you can like it's your legal ability to do so
1: (laughs) people will be worried about you and might like make sure you're okay like i hope so but you're right i mean it's not illegal to do what she did (laughs) no like as long as you're not running from the law like you can move wherever you want to and you
0: don't have to tell anyone that's yeah that's kind of how it works so after the private detective told him that he was kind of like yeah you're right like if she left and she didn't want to be found then I won't i'm just find gonna her. trust that yeah so wow. he just trusted that she, if she was still alive she'd come home on her own someday and that hopefully wherever she was she would be happy
1: this person that i'm shouting out today is not necessarily like an indie underground unknown instagram artist this is my childhood favorite author that I've just now decided to give a shout out because as I was scrolling through the Instagram explore page, I saw m- one of my favorite books growing up, which was Ella Enchanted. Clicked on the post, and Ella Enchanted turned 26 this year, just a few weeks ago. And the person I will be shouting out today is Gail Carson. Levine? Levine? I think it's Levine. I assume. I don't know. What a storyteller. What an amazing person. I feel like we're going to find a way to turn her books or something about her into a full episode one day. We've talked about it briefly in the past, but I'm just going to shout her out because, you know, I feel like lately I've just been wanting like a really chill, happy book to read that's like not going to demand too much mental attention. Whenever I get in those slumps, do you want to know what books I read? I read The Two Princesses of Bamar. I love that book. Yeah, that book is so good. <laughs> I think so I've good. read that book 15 times so in my entire life. It's so upsetting
0: that that is the one book that I don't feel like ever got as popular as so many of her others. When I'm like, that is
1: such a good book. <laughs> that book is incredible. It's amazing. I remember like when COVID hit, that was one of the first books I read. And th- like, that started my string of like rereading Gail Carson Levine books. So... It's just a comfort book of mine forever and always. I think she's such a special author. I've read almost all of her books, I guess. And if you haven't read The Two Princesses of Bamar, that's my, here's my personal, go read that because it's so freaking good. Definitely. And she's awesome.
0: Okay. So this artist is named Amanda Eve and her Instagram handle is AmandaEve.art. The breakfast drop is coming out tomorrow, which means I guess when you guys listen to this, they'll probably all be gone. <laughs> oh,
1: no. I'm sorry. But these are seriously some of the cutest things. First off, genius the idea. Oh, my gosh. I love
0: this. Literally so adorable. She makes these ceramic tic-tac-toe sets. And these ones are all breakfast themed. That's her collection. And she only did
1: one of each. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. These are so, these are beautiful. Of
0: course, they're going to disappear immediately because they're so cute that they're just going to be gone. But there's like avocado toast. So it has little slices of oh. avocado and eggs. And then it goes on a little tic-tac-toe board that's a piece of bread. And then <laughs> she's got like a coffee mug with I think it's like cubes
1: of ice or maybe it's marshmallows. I don't know with a I know latte. I was trying to decide the same if that was yeah. marshmallows or ice cubes. Yeah.
0: <laughs> and then coffee beans. One of my favorite ones, she did a little like splash of milk and then it's Lucky Charms, but like the charms are one and then like oh. the little the little yeah. brown things that I don't know what they're mm-hmm. called. <laughs> the ones that we all avoided eating are the yes.
1: ones. The ones that were left in the milky bowl. Yes. Or
0: she'll have like a waffle with little pieces of butter and blueberries or it's just the cutest things i think i've ever seen strawberries and whipped cream
1: yeah they're so cute i love this i love that this exists same this is amazing i wish that
0: i had that kind of money to spend on a tic-tac-toe set because i want one so bad and it would be such a cute gift
1: it would be such a cute gift right like the right person would be obsessed with that
0: Agreed. And it looks like she's done previous drops with like other things. She also does like paintings and all sorts of stuff. Like, very, very talented. So, definitely mm-hmm. follow her. Mm-hmm. They were a little surprised, though, that she never returned later when she gained more of a spotlight, which we'll talk about next. They kind of hoped she'd surface. She didn't. Her mother actually died just a few years after she disappeared, and they said that it would have been really strange, even with their strained relationship, for her not to attend her mother's funeral if she had known. Yeah. So mm-hmm. that was one thing that were like, maybe
1: she's dead. However, like, no body was ever found either yeah and i feel and like her, if someone dies like people do eventually find that you know yeah i mean like genetic testing isn't where it is now but
0: but still <laughs> you know like i don't know yeah yeah and then also no one ever found her car which is almost even weirder than oh. the body because like people have ways of hiding bodies like you've seen how do you just stuff, casually but, get like, rid of a car, car? or different especially like it wasn't just like any regular car like it was a little volkswagen beetle like vintage very distinguished car (laughs) yes so just kind of interesting that like nothing Mm. was ever found online sleuths have like tried to crack the case you know there's all these different theories and ideas about which jane doe she could be or like Mm. all this other stuff but Mm -hmm. you know it's also worth noting that maybe she just chose a new life and she's sitting in a house at 90 years old listening
1: to her music on Spotify. I hope that is the answer. (laughs) I I really hope so. Maybe (laughs) she's listening to this podcast. If so, hello. I hope you had a magical (laughs) life. If it were me and I was, like, that intent on disappearing, but, like,
0: had gone internet fam, you best believe I'd be listening to every little bit of content about myself. Oh,
1: me too. I don't know if that's toxic (laughs) or not, but I absolutely would.
0: Yeah, 1,000%. So, kind of talking about why we know her name, right? Like, she had that one non-recorded television appearance, a couple Mm -hmm. of songs and demos that never went anywhere. Like, why on earth are we talking about her? It's because of that guy who recorded her at the kitchen table. Wow. So, you know, he promised her that he was going to get her name out of obscurity. He tried to with the television show. It didn't work. I love this. So in January of 2004, Dutch, who is a successful animator at this point, like before he was an illustrator, now he's been like a very successful animator with a very prominent, profound career. He's 80 and he's been living in Prague since the 1960s and he was invited by a new york music historian named david garland to appear on his wnyc show on radio called spinning on air and alongside some more well-known songs by established artists that he'd also recorded at his little kitchen table he Uh played the songs by connie converse oh my gosh Mm -hmm. that's beautiful yes he specifically played her song one by one which you can go Mm -hmm. and listen to because two people were listening who cared and this is my favorite thing is when people care yeah (laughs) two listeners of the show dan dulza and david herman were inspired by the broadcast to track down any additional recordings that they could find of Converse. They wanted to compile her songs together and release them with some remastering. They had some musical remastering background and they were able to do this. They even formed their own record label in order to make this happen.
1: Wow! And they found
0: a second source of Converse's music. So they used a Dutch's collection that he had in Prague. And then they also found a filing cabinet in Ann Arbor Of those recordings that Converse had sent to her brother, Philip, in the late 1950s. Oh my gosh. That is insane. Wonderful. So just a couple of years later, in March 2009, How Uh Sad, How Lovely, containing 18 songs by Converse, was released by Lauderette Recordings alongside a major social media campaign that they did sharing her story. Of course using her disappearance and many yeah. <laughs> other things about her life and that same month the radio show spinning on air did an hour-long special about converse's life and music exploring wow. the mystery around her disappearance playing recordings from her brother that she had sent and also reading portions of her letters out loud on air they actually got the actress amber benson from buffy the vampire slayer to like read the letters out loud oh my god what <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> Like, full-on radio show. And, of course, this gained traction. Like, this is a lot of publicity. The story's fascinating. And so people started talking about it there was a lot of quotes at the time they're like it's almost like she wanted it to be found and looked through what i found most fascinating was how funny she was in her writing this is Mm. kane's talking about her journal he said here was a person who struggled through her whole life to feel successful and you can tell there's a great sadness with a lot of the things she did and the way she lived her life but she was Mm -hmm. also incredibly funny you could tell she was well liked and had lots of friends but there was still this wall between her and other people where it didn't seem like she 100 connected with anyone wow a recording label swooped it up and in 2015 (laughs) it was released again as an 18 track vinyl recording by squirrel thing recordings in partnership with Captured Tracks Labels, and it got a ton of favorable reviews. Music critics at the time wrote, few reissues of the past decade have struck with me more than the continued joyous affection of How Sad, How Lovely. It made a deep and marvelous connection between lyric and song that allows us to enter the world of an extraordinary woman living in mid 20th century New York.
1: This is incredible I am so shocked that I just I've never heard this like this is Mm -hmm. why I love doing this podcast like I know this is insane (laughs) all of this is it's crazy
0: yeah one thing that everyone noted is that the music considering when it was recorded sounds eerily contemporary. And that's a Mm. frequent thing said with Connie Converse. Her music sounds modern. Like Ah. (laughs) considering it was released in the 1950s, like when she recorded it in the 1950s, it's crazy how modern it sounds, which, you know, contributed to the massive cult following that it got. It was considered an indie darling. And a lot of people commented that like, this was a woman writing singer songwriter style music in the mid fifties before being a singer songwriter was a thing.
1: Yeah. Especially
0: a female sing like female female. singer, songwriter. Mm -hmm. So just crazy. And it's gone on to inspire a ton of things that like you've probably never heard of, but they're all out there. So there's cabaret performances by the singer Annette Warren, who featured a lot of Converse's songs in her acts. There is a folk singer, Susan Reed, who actually performed Converse's music at the Kaufman Concert Hall in New York. It's been the mystery of a lot of, like, news reports. You know, whenever the news is, like, a special story about this weird thing, you know?
1: Mm-hmm. Yep. It's frequently
0: been one of those, because, I mean... It's, it's crazy. A fascinating story.
1: <laughs> yep.
0: And also, there is a play by Howard Fishman, who produced the album Connie's Piano Songs as well, featuring oh. music written by... But never recorded by Converse. So music that he found that... Never got recorded, they performed on piano and released. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also a biography by a fishman, same guy who did the piano songs and the play, called To Anyone Who Ever Asks after Oh, I love that the letter. Yeah, yeah the letter that she left. That feels there fitting. Is a modern dance piece called Empty Pockets, mm.
1: performed at Miller
0: Theater that's inspired by her. British singer Nat Johnson did Roving Woman, which was a tribute performance as well as tribute performances by Jean Rowe and Diane Cluck as a part of the 2012 Spinning on Air 25th anniversary special. which I mm. love that. This little radio show, you know,
1: just yeah. championing her.
0: <laughs> I am obsessed with that. <laughs> yeah. In 2017, John Zorn Zadik, I think is how you say it, records, released mm-hmm. an album Vanity of Vanities, which was a tribute to Connie Converse. Featuring new recordings of her songs by different performers, including Mike Patton, Petra Mm Haddon, Karen O, and Laurie Anderson. Memories of Winter, which is the final track on a Canadian singer-songwriter, Dana Gavinsky's 2020 debut album. The song's called, I mean, the debut album's called Yesterday Is Gone. That song, Memories of Winter, is an homage to Converse. Wow. Um, Talking Like Her was a feature documentary broadcast in 2021 exploring the life, music, and disappearance of Converse. And it's actually been screened at numerous festivals worldwide. And there was also a 40 minute documentary by the US filmmaker Andrea Keynes that premiered at another film festival and at a part of a Connie Converse tribute night that was wow. staged by British singer Nat Johnson. Um, oh really everywhere which is wonderful and I love how current a lot of these
1: things are like she's still being championed that's what I love too is that it's almost like collectively there's a huge group of people that is not gonna let her fall into obscurity again
0: yes which is wonderful one of the things that makes her so famous now and like why people keep talking about her Mm -hmm. In addition to, you know, the fact that she disappeared and was never heard from again, which we have a fascination with stuff like that in society. She's also considered the earliest modern singer-songwriter that we have record of. like. The way that they described it, obviously she's not the first person to sing and write songs ever in history. (laughs) But the way that we like understand singer-songwriters today and like what they do and the profession and everything, like that was her, and she's the earliest one we have record of.
1: Well, I feel like people think of Bob Dylan as the first, but this was before him. So Mm -hmm. like, yeah, that's insane. Yeah. And if you Google who is the first singer-songwriter, it
0: now says Connie Converse is believed to be so wow mm -hmm. so she really is like the earliest record we have of this style of music there's a quote from garland that actually said converse wrote and sang back in the 1950s long before singer songwriter was a recognized category or style but everything we value in singer songwriters today personal perspective insight originality empathy intelligence wry humor was abundant in her music others cite the feminine experience often explored in her lyrics as well as the themes of sexuality and individualism found in her songs as the reason why her music music was ahead of its time ahead of her time (laughs) so the podcast that i listened to one thing that was so poignant that they said that like i don't think i'm ever gonna forget is they're like you'll notice everyone always talks about connie converse and many other artists by saying ahead of their time and we've said that Mm -hmm. with so many too they're like they're just too Mm -hmm. far ahead you know like especially hem off clint like her stuff was hidden for 50 years but she's probably the first abstract artist you know like she was ahead of her time but they said that the real tragedy is that no one can be ahead of your time. You're a product mm. of the time period you're in, regardless of like how innovative or anything you are, like how famous you become later in your life. Like you don't get to experience that, which means that like no one really gets to be ahead of their time. Like time travel is not a thing. You can't just like blip up in 20 years later when you'll actually be successful. You know, mm-hmm. it doesn't work like that. And so that's kind of the saddest part is just like how many near misses there were for one thing like one year after she disappeared the medical journal officially determined diagnostics for recognizing major depressive disorder wow which made huge steps of dealing with mental health and treating mental and health. how we treat it yeah and that was a year after she disappeared which is almost just Ugh. like it's got like wrenching. grossly poetic yeah. yes because it's like uh being so close to the discovery of that major movement mm-hmm. forward is like so much worse in so many ways because even though there's so many historical figures that did deal with it like she was just so close to being able to be treated more abundantly for it more appropriately yeah yeah another thing that just kind of sucks so she lived in greenwich during the 1950 folk music revival So Mm -hmm. it was happening, like folk music was a thing, but it didn't really catch on until 1961 with Bob Dylan, who was Mm -hmm. in Greenwich, right in the area she had just been, a year after she left New York City.
1: Oh, so like, who knows what could have... Like, she was doing what he basically ended up doing, so... Yep,
0: exactly. Which is just frustrating
1: they mentioned on the
0: podcast and i thought it was very important to say that they're like well why did bob dylan succeed when she was just right there doing the same thing Mm
1: -hmm. and you
0: know like sexism is a major part of it we're not just saying that because the podcast we are like it's a fact she's saying about womanhood feminism toxic marriages one night stands all things that are considered Mm. extremely radical for a woman in the 1950s and even early 1960s to be singing about.
1: Yeah. And
0: therefore, like more radical music <laughs> would it be easier to absorb from a man because the behavior was more acceptable for men.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: They brought up the example of like Nina Simone. She wrote the song Mississippi Goddamn, which she wrote in response to the 16th century Baptist church bombing. Oh. And the mm-hmm. song actually got banned in the South for discussing <gasps> race and racism. Wow. And that was only in 1963. So like, this isn't a crazy thing to consider that, like, record labels wouldn't want to talk about, like, feminism or...
1: And why, when she was on that TV show, the record labels didn't come a-callin'. mm
0: mm-hmm. Like, her songs could have been considered, like, too vulgar or personal for a woman to sing about.
1: hmm and, and the record labels are just concerned about money, so if they can't yeah. see immediately the rest of the country getting on board with that, they're usually not going to take the chance on it.
0: Exactly. Another thing that just kind of sucks is like Connie wasn't considered conventionally beautiful. So that could have been a major holdup for record labels at the time. Even now, you know, like people are still like very obsessed with aesthetics. But you have to consider the fact that like nowadays we have people who get around it like, you know, see his face never been seen like Daft Punk wear masks, you know, like there's stuff people do nowadays where they can self record or release things without ever having to like focus on their own personal aesthetics. I think of like yeah. Lady Gaga, how she described wearing elaborate outfits at the beginning of her career because she didn't want to be judged for her looks. Which all of these people I've been talking about, I'm sure, gorgeous. You know, like I've never yeah, seen I was gonna Def say Punk's which face, are- but,
1: like- <laughs> yeah. Pretty, but yeah, conventionally pretty. But yeah, so it doesn't matter.
0: But. Just like the fact that just a while later, like even within her lifetime, stuff there could have been a situation easier, where,
1: yeah, she could have succeeded. Yeah,
0: where she could have gotten around the record label gatekeeping that was so common, which really sucks. It sucks, guys. <laughs> like, yeah, that's just- all there is to it. <laughs> yeah, it's just awful. And like I mentioned, like she really was the first that we know of because the concept of the solo acoustic singer-songwriter – really hadn't moved beyond woody guthrie i think is what they bring up and pete seeker who were kind of mm-hmm. more of like a southern blues type
1: yeah folk, i that's I what i was thinking is like i feel like singer songwriters started out as yeah blues singers mm-hmm. which i mean definitely acknowledge where it comes from but it's yeah. very different different style yeah like yeah it is different mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and at the time when she was writing and singing
0: like bob dylan joan Baez. And Joni Mitchell yes, okay. would all still have been in school.
1: Yeah, so. they were very young. And they are the <laughs> founders, basically, of the singer-songwriters. Yeah. Yes.
0: So it's just kind of worth noting that like, she could she have was doing that. been like, mm-hmm. even bigger. And I'm sure it's wonderful that she's even able to get any recognition now because the songs are stunningly beautiful. Like, highly, highly recommend. They're just gorgeous. Like, I love soft folk music. And that's exactly Me what it is. too.
1: Of all the artists that we have discussed, I think this is who I'm the most excited to like go research after you know like like go seek out their art afterwards to either read or watch or anything (laughs) I'm almost like excited for you to be like all right Stani I've had enough finish up like I'm gonna go listen to this album like I'm so excited feeling that way
0: (laughs) the last thing I'll end with is Dutch the guy who championed her he oh my gosh what a hero I know amazing right I love him this quote from him is one of my favorite things he says the more I thought about it the songs were all about herself I think that's what makes the song Songs interesting no matter what she was singing it all had to do with sexual frustration and loneliness there was something mm-hmm. about those songs that was extremely personal in those days that was something you never heard nowadays wow. there are a lot of women singers who you might call folk singers or personal song singers who are doing pretty much the same thing as Connie did but I think she really was the first
1: that's incredible and I think that sometimes because it is so common now in music where it's It's almost like looked down upon if the singer is singing and not writing about their own personal experiences, that it's easy to forget that this is a trend and this is Mm -hmm. a new thing in music. Like, yeah, before the 60s. And I mean, honestly, a lot of the 70s, 80s, 90s, people weren't writing about their personal experience really at all. This is a new thing that we're demanding from our entertainers. And so... Yeah, like, I just want to, like, almost, like, really emphasize that. That, like, this is new. And so the fact that she was doing that, that's incredible.
0: Yeah. I think that's something that's funny, like, with our Paramore episode where we just talked about, like, Mm -hmm. her saying, like, well, it's actually written by a teenage girl. And then we were, like, debating, you know, like, you know should music have to be written by who's singing it and Mm
1: -hmm. the fact that
0: that wasn't common for decades you know yeah so many years for real (laughs) yeah and with it still being not entirely uncommon for someone to sing a song written by somebody else it's just yeah it's cool to find like someone that first. was so dedicated to that kind and style like way before it was ever a thing.
1: I'm so just like intrigued too by the juxtaposition of the fact that she was so private about her personal life and I almost wonder if like that's because she almost like got it all out there on the page or she was already being so brave in a way just for putting those out into songs and saying these are mine that like that need was fulfilled or like maybe she just allowed herself then to be guarded in other ways I just you know like I said it's just such a almost contradiction that I'm so intrigued by it also kind of makes it
0: more heartbreaking because like for her not to be so personal in any other way and then to like only be personal in her songwriting and then have it be rejected
1: yeah mm -hmm. like that and i wonder if that made it so that's why it was so difficult is because this was her being vulnerable and putting herself out there and maybe this was like the only way she was allowing herself to do it yeah and then when that wasn't getting heard or seen or nobody seemed to care like yeah that is devastating truly
0: like like, no no wonder you know like that would be hard mm -hmm. for anyone let alone someone who literally gave up everything in their life to go pursue that. And then yeah. to basically consider themselves a failure. So anyway, she's still missing. Ugh. But her music isn't anymore.
1: And that's, that's what's pretty cool. cool. Well, like we said, I hope that she's a happy 90-year-old woman rocking in her chair, playing her guitar. Like, how old would she be now? Let's look. Oh, yeah. Maybe there's like no way she's alive. 99.
0: It's possible Betty White did it, but probably not. (laughs) But probably not. She's probably dead now, if from old age, you know.
1: Just from natural causes, if she wasn't dead before. But she
0: would have seen her music released if she was still alive. In and that's cool. Yeah,
1: maybe she's been completely off the grid. Who knows? It's possible. I'm like crazier things have happened. True. (laughs) Yeah. Well, thank you Mm -hmm. so much for bringing this story into my life. This is devastating but incredible so just yeah thank you that's all of course yeah you can stream her stuff on spotify it looks like there's three albums
0: there's the first one like how sad how lovely there is also an ep that was released this year called sad lady i think it's more music by hers remastered because it has hers the as the artist but i'm not sure entirely what they did to it that's different and then connie's piano songs like i mentioned if you want to hear some of the ones that we're never given words, but we're still written, so. Do you have any personal favorites? I love How Sad, How Lovely. It's the original <sighs> 2009. hmm It's beautiful. Here, let me look Good if I know. favorited any
1: of the... Oh, my favorite was
0: I Have Considered the Lilies
1: oh goodness gracious and just the parallels with like the religious oh no i think i'm gonna love this woman that's all (laughs) i'm just predicting yes you are (laughs) devotion that's all (laughs) no you will i'm i'm certain i cannot wait to report back truly i'm
0: really excited to hear about it
1: but yeah awesome purely purely beautiful you're gonna love it i'm so thrilled well, thank you, listeners, for joining us today to learn about the amazing Connie. And we're back every Monday with a new topic relating to women in the arts, whether that's telling individual stories or just talking about the ways that society has failed women, period. <laughs> so if that's something that interests you, come back. Follow us on Instagram, too, podcast, because you can get that nice visual component to what's going on here and... Yes. Yeah, just enjoy that even more. Oh, we have fun on Instagram. Come join us. We do. Also, plug, we've got a newsletter. I don't
0: talk oh, yeah. about it enough on Instagram, but we've got one. It comes out every week for every episode. I include a lot of images, links to songs, and kind of elaborate on things a little bit more. It's a good time. It's free. There it's we on go. Substack. So just links in our Instagram bio, and you can check that out as well. Be back next
1: week. Bye.